Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Estate Red Zone, brought to you by the Texas Real Estate Research Center at Texas A&M University. I'm Haley Reeder, Communications Specialist. Today is Wednesday, September 15th, 2021. On this day in 1896, the celebrated crash at Crush occurred 15 miles north of Waco in McLennan County. As a publicity stunt for the Missouri-Kansas-Texas Railroad, or the Katy Railroad, two railroad engines were deliberately crashed head-on at the non-existent town of Crush. Elaborate preparations and extensive publicity brought a crowd of more than 40,000. After a two-mile run, the two engines, the bright green number 999 and the brilliant red number 1001, met in a fiery crash. Flying debris killed three people and injured six more. By nightfall, the site was abandoned. In the early 20th century, Scott Joplin, known as the King of Ragtime, commemorated the event in a piano piece called The Great Crush Collision March. Now on to today's podcast. 2020 and 2021 were unprecedented years in many ways, and one of those ways was a record increase in Texas real estate license holders. According to the Texas Real Estate Commission, or TREC, the state's license holder count increased by around 16,000 year over year at the end of August 2021. This means over 218,000 people in Texas hold a license under TREC, the largest amount ever. What caused this record increase in licensees? Has the pandemic permanently changed how license holders practice? Trek Executive Director Chelsea Buckholtz and Chair Scott Kesner join us to share their insights. Thanks for being here. It's our pleasure. More people than ever now have a Texas real estate license. Why are so many Texans opting for a real estate career? Is this a result of COVID, a natural increase linked to a growing population, or something else? You know, that's a great question. I'm going to start. Then Chelsea has a, a lot of a lot of information, a lot of facts. Uh, you know, when COVID hit, I think it gave people a lot of time, you know, at home and working virtually and probably having some time and, and some and some the financial ability to maybe take the classes and the commission was really kind of ahead of the game as far as virtual classes being offered. I know if any schools were not doing virtual, they certainly went to virtual and they had a high attendance. Uh, I think the hot market certainly played into it. And uh, the population trend, people moving to Texas certainly had a large, a large part of it. So I think it was kind of a combination of everything, the, the hot market, the population trend as far as moving, uh, and then the time and the availability of, of virtual classes. I think it was almost a perfect storm. And I know Chelsea has some specific numbers to kind of go with that. So I'll kind of kind of pass it to her. It'll be interesting to look back in several years to see just if we have a better understanding of why we are at where we're at. But uh, this year, we've had a record number of, uh, or well, a record increase of license holders. We ended the year at the end of August, so just a day ago, at uh, 218,735 uh, Trek license holders. 
that's an increase year over year of about 16,000. And for as long as we've been collecting this data, actually we've probably been collecting the data longer, but I have a chart that shows the last 20 years, and this is the largest increase by far. Um, but interestingly, the year before 2020, the first year of COVID was one of the smallest increases. We increased just over about 5,000. So, you know, it seems like people paused and looked around. What are we going to do? I'm not going to make any decisions in life. And then they kind of dove in a whole hog. I've read a lot about people taking inventory of their life and trying to um, adjust how they, you know, just to increase quality of life. And that a lot of that seems to be around, um, you know, working more efficiently and cutting out commutes and working perhaps from home. And the real estate careers naturally have some of that built in. So um, it's a scalable career. It doesn't require that commute. It doesn't require the eight to five life. But, you know, that doesn't make it necessarily an easy career to make a living in. So it's just a, it's, it's very interesting time. I, we also, of course, just got the uh, Texas population numbers and Texas gained the most re residents of any state uh, since 2010. We had a 16% increase. That's 4 million, uh, 4 million uh, new citizens of Texas. But uh, we increased at Trek more than that. Um, in 2010, we had about 150,000 license holders. So we jumped by close to 70. You know, that's a about a 30% increase. So we're watching numbers really closely. This is a very interesting time. I don't know. I, I've heard Jim Gaines say, uh, don't compare last year to this year. And this is just a really interesting time. And I'm, I'm taking that advice to heart. And just a real quick follow-up. I mean, even though a lot of the state is open again, um, a lot of people are still attending virtually, all the brick and mortar schools are full. I mean, so there there is still a huge demand for the classes. I know the local academy here in El Paso, I went by there yesterday and it's full. We've talked to people in the Dallas and Houston area and they're full. So like Chelsea said, I'm real interested to see if this trend slows down, or do we add another 16,000 licensees? I mean, I was chairman of Texas Realtors in 2015, which is really not that long ago. And we were below 100,000 members at that time. And I think we're 140,000 now, you know, as far as the association. So there's been steady growth, but last year was just a huge, tremendous. I mean, 16,000, that's just, yeah. I don't think anybody saw that, that coming in you know, will it continue? You know, only time will tell. How has the pandemic affected license holders? The pandemic, um, not only license holders, you know, we talked about, you know, the virtual classes and, and the virtual testing. And I mean, even the advanced classes, legal one, legal two, broker responsibility, uh, even that was offered virtually. But as far as the business, I mean, um, it certainly impacted the business. I mean, I don't remember, you know, agents having gloves and footies and Lysol and wipes and everything when they're showing houses, uh, showing a lot of houses virtually. And when I say showing houses virtually, you know, you always had, you know, the videos and, and you know, the, the uh, 
different types of, 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 of video showings. But this is true, truly a virtual showing where you're walking through the house and you're opening the closets and you're showing the ceilings and and you're really you really have to give them a full detail of showing the house. And, you know, we even had people, you know, say yeah, there's there, there's an odor. There, there's this. There's that. Because you are truly you're you're their eyes, their ears and their nose. Um, I went out with my wife one day to to virtually show a house to someone out of town and she sent she spent the first 10 minutes on the neighborhood on the street on the on the on, on the neighbors cars on the neighbors houses you know the park across the street everything about the neighborhood before you even got into the house so I think that that had a huge impact uh, you know I think you know, some showing apps, you know, scheduling appointments. You know, I've got an appointment from three o'clock to three twenty. Someone else is going to be there at three twenty. We can't have two people there at the same time, you know, during the social distancing. So I, I think a lot of agents had to work together to, to get through that. And then, you know, just uh, digital signatures. You know, I, I remember one night my wife had a signature signed and I drove across town and had it signed. You know, we're seeing almost everything digital signatures. We're seeing a lot of virtual closings where the agent uh, is out in the parking lot. If they have questions, not allowed in the closing. So it just totally changed everything. Um, taking two cars to show houses, you know, where the client's in their car and, and, and you're in your own. So, you know, there, there was a lot of there, there was, and there's a lot, of, you know, uh, there, there's a lot of changes, pivoting or whatever you want to call it as far as getting it done. Uh, you know, the numbers itself are just huge. How many houses were sold last year during COVID? And all that is with an inventory shortage. You know, what would the numbers have been if there was not an inventory shortage? You know, who knows? Uh, you know, we still have a lot of people that want to buy a house, want to move up, but they're afraid to sell theirs because they can't find anything. But I think just virtual and just making sure everybody was was protected. Uh one big thing we had in Texas, I'm also licensed in New Mexico, is the governor always classified us as essential. And so we were always able to list and sell and show and close houses. And I think that was huge. And I'll kind of hand it over to, to Chelsea for her. Sure. I'll tell you a few ways in which it's affected license holders from the Trek perspective. But first, I just need to commend um all of our license holders, you know, the, the word that we keep using during this pandemic is uh, pivoting. And I think our license holders have done that very well in such an unknown time. Um, and, and it's been necessary because of high demand. Um, and I'm really proud of the way that um, we've seen uh, people innovate and uh, rise to the occasion. And, and to keep people safe. Um, you know, the most important um, thing that, that we do in our job is to protect the consumer. Um, that's really the mission of the agency. And um, we've, we've seen how the field has changed, but the consumer continues to be protected. And, um, you know, from, from an agency perspective, we saw um, a change in how people were uh, being educated, a, a bit of a shift to virtual learning, of course. That was already an option before the pandemic, and so it was just uh, utilized more. 
Um, of course, just like Scott said, the, the brick and mortar classes are open and full and uh, the pandemic really seems to just have broadened the uh, opportunities and ways in which someone can be educated, um, uh, which is a which is a huge benefit. Now, at the beginning of the pandemic, we saw um, some delays. Uh, it took a while to schedule an exam just because of the need for social distancing, and some exam centers were closed and that type of thing. Um, we're seeing that a whole lot less now. Um, which is great. Um, um, the, our exam provider has, has, again, pivoted and accommodated for this uh, new world. Um, and th the other way in which it's affected some is that you can't just pop in our office anymore. Um, we are working to um, open our building again. Um, of course, there's a surge in Texas that, that is true in Austin. And so we've pulled back on that opening. Um, but so you, you have to plan ahead. Um, but of course, there's a lot available on our website, uh, a lot of self-service options. And we, we see that being utilized more and more. Um, and even, you know, during the pandemic, the mail was taking a long time for, for a lot of different reasons. Uh, USPS was a little bit slower. We let things quarantine for a while. We're not doing that anymore. Just the process was much slower. And so it took a while to process a check. So we're seeing more online payments and that sort of thing. And I want to commend those who had a learning curve in that uh, regard, who have done the work to just figure that out. It's, it can be very intimidating, I think, to figure some of that out. But many people have done that just for, for ease and, and because they're you know, during certain seasons during the pandemic, there weren't any other options. What important rule and contract changes should licensees be aware of? Oh, goodness. There's, uh, I, we could probably go on and on. I'll highlight a few changes and then um, also just a few things that we're seeing more and more of. Uh, in the spring, we finalized a big round of contract changes. The commission adopted uh, form changes to our contracts. And, um, you know, there was a lot of, we, we went through several rounds of comments, took a lot of feedback regarding that, and those became mandatory April 1st. The big items there, uh, the first was to paragraph five, changing the way that the option and earnest uh, monies are paid. Uh, those are now uh, uh, delivered to the, to the title company. Uh, some people love that. Some people hate it. There's a lot of feelings around that, but uh, people are getting into the groove on that. And then paragraph four changed entirely. Uh, the previous language uh, had to do with license holder, license holder disclosure. That just moved to paragraph eight. It didn't go away. But the new paragraph four um, added language to address leases uh, in which the seller is a party. So this requires some front-end work uh, for a seller and the seller's agent to figure out what leases do we have in place and make those leases available. It also prohibits a seller from executing any new lease or amending any current lease uh, without buyer's consent um, after the effective date of the contract. So those are some big, uh, big changes. So those have been in effect since April. And then, as of yesterday, we had another round of contract changes. These were not nearly as substantial. They're based on legislative changes from the 87th legislative session, which ended uh, into May. Um, 
the, so the, the first one um, on that is paragraph 6E7. It aligns the contract language with the statutory change that relates to public improvement districts. Uh, there are now some notice requirements if a property is in a PID. Uh, also, paragraph 22 is amended to add a box in the event that uh, an addendum is used related to those PIDs. And then voluntary use, we have an addendum that provides uh, information for a public improvement district. Um, that's a, a voluntary form. We anticipate that other forms like it will be uh, uh, drafted and utilized by PIDs and other organizations, but we have that available on our website for use. And then another tiny change, but, uh, but a change nonetheless to paragraph 7H, it just accounts for a shift. As of yesterday, TREC no longer regulates the residential service companies. They are now regulated by the Texas Department of Licensing and Regulation, but our previous contract mentioned that a residential service company is licensed by TREC. So that was, that was eliminated in the new in the new draft. So uh, new contracts as of yesterday, um, those shouldn't be monumental, but, there, but, but we received a good question last week that I wanna repeat here. And that is what happens if you pull a form on August 31st, you send it you know, you, with an offer, you send it to a seller on September 1st, but it's the old form. Um, is that okay? No. Uh, anything with an effective date of September 1st, 2021 or later needs to be on that new form. So there's a, there's a window um, where that's going to be probably pretty frustrating or require a little bit of duplicative work. But that's, that is because of the language included in the statutory change. Um, there wasn't, there's no wiggle room there. Few other things that have just happened related to rules and regulations at TREC uh, recently, or that just things we've been seeing. We did. There's an increase in CE requirements. No increase in hours, but but uh, license holders are required to have three hours of contracts class. Uh, now, um, we're really looking to uh, determine how best to equip our license holders, just to be the best they can be heard from a lot of license holders about the need for more education. Much of that was related to filling out a contract. So this is in direct uh, response to that. Uh, you can, uh, license holders can go and look for um, classes that uh, satisfy that contracts requirement on our website. And we also have some tools to, for license holders to determine whether or not they've taken something that already satisfies that. So our website is real helpful for that. We've also just updated our standards of practice for, for inspectors, and we've changed the form that inspectors use to make that more um, reader-friendly. Um, so, so that's a big change. We've also seen, we've just put out an article, uh, we're seeing more uh, people asking about walkthrough inspections, where you don't have a an inspection report done, you just have an inspector come and point things out. And that's prohibited in Texas. That's, that's against our rules. If an inspector comes and does an inspection, they, they must produce a report and it must be on our form. Um, and so I, I wanna make sure that our uh, industry knows that that's, that's unacceptable. And really it, it, that's for consumer protection. 
Um, lastly, escalation clauses in this crazy market. We've seen uh, folks wanting to use an escalation clause, the concept of, you know, in an offer, I'll pay X amount more than, than the highest offer. And um, a license holder cannot draft language to that effect. That's the unauthorized practice of law. So if there's a buyer interested in utilizing an escalation clause like that, they need to hire their own lawyer, not the license holder's lawyer, but, but the buyer's lawyer uh, to draft that uh, language. They're not a good idea. Um, there's, there are never um, you know, multiple offers that, that are exactly alike that just have, you know, cost being the difference or very rarely. So it really muddies the water in a way that um, is, is, is not a good idea, but uh, there's very limited avenues for, for using those escalation clauses just with a private attorney. Scott, just, what just, have I missed? You did an awesome job uh, recapping. I just want to kind of go back on the big changes with uh, paragraph five with the earnest money and option money and paragraph four with the leases. Um, you know, I want to commend, you know, not only Treg, but the broker lawyer com committee, you know, they sat down with the Texas Land and Title Association. They sat down with the Texas Realtors uh, because we had tried to, you know, start the change as far as earnest money and option money uh, almost two years previously. And we really wanted input from all the industry to see you know, how we could get it and get it right. And, and I think we did. Um, the paragraph four on the leases are, it's a huge, huge impact on the business here locally in El Paso, and I'm sure other areas where we have a large number of solar panels. And every solar panel company, every solar panel contract, it's different as far as, can they be assumed? What's the cost of assuming? Can they be moved? What's the cost of moving it? And so that was something that was really impacting the industry that really nobody had an eye on. So when the, the fixture lease came out, you know, you think of propane tanks and security systems and stuff, it's really had a big, big impact on the solar panels. And so I think that, you know, shed a lot of light on, on what due diligence the listing agent needs to do up front. And then, of course, existing leases, that was always part of the contract. But paragraph four certainly spelt it out with a lease addendum, you know, almost like an estoppel certificate on a commercial transaction where it talks about, give me the copy of the leases, give me copies of, you know, security deposits and everything. So I think those changes were just really uh, needed to really show the transparency in the transaction. And then the one change on, on the public improvement district, it certainly uh, gives the seller an affirmative uh, you know, uh, a responsibility to, to confirm if it's in a public improvement district. It used to just be a notice it could be. So that's probably a good change. And so, you know, I think overall good changes. Now, Chelsea mentioned the, the three-hour contracts. Uh, Trek was very careful to make this as local as possible. So if you want a three-hours class on the coast on wind insurance and, and stuff like that, it can be formatted, formatted for, that, for that local market. Um, and then I forgot how many classes we approved within like the first 30 days. If you had an existing contract class, you could submit it for fast track approval for this three hour, uh, three hour you know, requirement. 
So we've really made it to where a local provider can can really structure the thing on what's going on locally. Um, probably less than 4% of our transactions in El Paso, you know, uh, have a homeowners association. We probably don't need two hours training on homeowners association where we might on solar panels. So I think the changes in the three hour contrast class were needed, but we also tried to make it, you know, as, as user friendly as we can for the local market and local providers. Chelsea had mentioned this yesterday, we were talking legal one, legal two used to count for your ethics. Uh, if you're a member of the association or the realtor association, it no longer does. And so that's been a change. I think I could be wrong on this. I think if you took it 19, it still counted through 21. But that's probably one of the changes with the with the with the education and then escalation clauses. You know, Chelsea touched on that. You know, everybody wants to pay a dollar more than the last person. But uh, we cannot practice law. So those are probably the big changes that that have impacted us. So we have a process that all state agencies have to develop rules and rules are really extensions of laws and then they have the effect of law. Um, and the way that rules are developed at, at any state agency is that they're proposed by our commission um, after review and consideration. And that proposal is a proposal to submit them for public comments. And so then they they are publicized for 30 days for the for, for the public to comment on them and to make recommendations to say these are wonderful rules, these are terrible rules, they would be perfect if dot 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 that type of thing. And previously we had an email address where those comments were submitted, um, which was administratively hard, and it was hard for license holders or other members of the public to determine how best to comment. And so we've made that process very easy. There's a tool now on our website that allows someone to, uh, a drop down menu that says, I wanna comment on this specific rule and then it allows for that comment. Um, so it's much easier to submit public comments uh, now than, than before. Um, and then that allows us on the back end to have all our com all the comments in one place where uh, to avoid the, the mistake of like missing a comment here or there that may come from just having an email address. So we're really excited about that. We've gone through a few rounds of, of utilizing uh, that and it's it's been very helpful and we've seen an increase in comments submitted um, which makes the process better. I mentioned the rulemaking process after that 30-day comment period then those comments are considered um, by staff and then likely, uh, most often an advisory committee um, of the subject matter, the rules related to, and then it goes back to the full commission uh, for their consideration for adoption. And the adoption is when the rule becomes law, essentially, after a, you know, they, they vote to adopt it and then after a period of time it becomes in effect. So that's the rulemaking process. It means it takes at least six months or so to uh, change or to adopt a rule. And one other thing I know Chelsea mentioned earlier was the website and some of the tools available on the website. You know, one of our one of our main focuses is, is customer service, returning phone calls, returning emails, answering the phone, minimizing hold times and so forth. Uh, just in the last couple of years, we've had a really couple of really neat additions to the website. One of them is the application tracker or if you get your paperwork in for, for your application to take the test, you can kind of see where it is, has the, has the 
certificates been received? Have the fingerprints been reviewed? You know, the entire process. And one of the biggest advantages is 90 days out from your license expiring, you can go in and click on your license and look on your education. It will tell you what classes you have, what classes you're missing. So if you need 18 hours and you have legal two and you have contracts, it will tell you you have seven hours, you're missing legal, legal one for four hours and then additional hours. So that not only helps the licensees, but also helps the broker track, you know, what classes do you need? What classes do you have and how many total hours? And that's the same way with the salesperson's apprentice education. If you need the, uh, you know, the, the 90 hours of SAE, then legal one, legal two. So those two tools right there can certainly help you, you know, find out where you're at as far as renewing or in the process of taking a license. And we're constantly trying to get more tools like that on our website you know, to help to help the license holders know exactly what's going on and also give us the ability to maybe minimize some of the calls and emails because information is there for the license holders. You want to make it easy on the license holder to receive information. Uh, Scott mentioned our focus on customer service. That's been a focus that's been ongoing for the last couple of years. Um, and I'm really proud of the efforts the agency has made to uh, to do better at customer service, to, to get that hold time down so that when um, we receive calls where someone's not waiting on hold for long periods of time. Right now, our average is higher than I'd like it to be. It's about uh, four minutes. Um, and that's because we're down some staff. We've just hired eight more folks to um, answer the phones to get that hold time down to, to more like one to two minutes. But for any license holder that um, hates to wait on hold, calling first thing in the morning or last thing at night um, is, is the best case scenario. We're open from 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. Our phones are open from 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. Many of our folks are working from home, so you may hear a dog barking in the background, and that just helps people remember that Trek is made up of people. People with with uh, with a little bit of a life, but um, but but we have made great strides on customer service and I'm proud of that work. Well, thank you both for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank well, you. Thank you. We love the, the Real Estate Research Center and are happy to be partners with y'all. Thanks again, Chelsea and Scott. To learn how to get a Texas real estate license, check out our latest guide. This primer by Trek former general counsel, Carrie Lewis, can help you get started. It covers all the important requirements and steps for both a real estate sales agent and individual broker licensees. The link is on our podcast webpage and in the YouTube description box. For more from Trek, visit their website. That's trec.texas.gov. The commission's website has licensing forms, courses, and news that every Texas real estate professional should be aware of. We post a link to it on our podcast webpage. And while your browser's open, head to our website to check out our research library. It includes a wide variety of research reports and articles. Our latest topics include Houston's use of limited purpose annexation, a 2021 mid-year commercial report, methods for obtaining potable water, best practices for sales agents, chronic wasting disease, and more. The link is on our podcast webpage. That's going to be it for today's podcast. 
If you're looking for more from the Texas Real Estate Research Center, head to our website. That's www.recenter.tamu.edu. There, you'll find the latest data, research articles, blogs, news, and more. You can also check out the Center's News Talk Texas database, which is updated daily with the biggest headlines in Texas real estate. You can also subscribe to Recon, our bi-weekly newsletter, to get all the biggest stories sent straight to your inbox. To stay up to date on when articles are published on our website, follow the Texas Real Estate Research Center on social media. You can find us with the handle at RECenterTX on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. For more podcasts like these, you can subscribe on iTunes or to our YouTube channel. All podcasts are also available for free on our website. Thanks for joining us today in the Real Estate Red Zone, brought to you by the Texas Real Estate Research Center in College Station, Texas, where we've been helping Texans make the best real estate decisions since 1971. This is Haley Reeder, and I'll see you next time. Bye.